0: Guess what, guys? I'm back. (laughs) Y'all thought I was just the government holiday pastor, right? You're wondering what holiday is today. Well, there actually is a national holiday. It's the one-time hit wonder holiday, which I don't know if there's musicians out there that only have that one-time hit. This is the day for them, September 25th. I looked it up today. But really, I'm not your government holiday pastor. I'm your when Greg is on holiday pastor. So Greg is off enjoying himself in London. He wishes he could be here. Greg, you're watching right now. We love you. We miss you. Hope you enjoy this Sabbath and this time with your family. Uh, but this morning, well, let me just introduce myself. My name's Josh. I'm one of the executive. Pa- I am the executive pastor on staff. I'm one of the pastors. I don't know if there there may be more of me, but who knows? Uh, I am just one of the pastors on staff. Uh, and always, it's good to be with you. One of the biggest pleasures I have is uh, leading our staff. Uh, overseeing the finances and operations of the building, the construction that's happening. But really my true joy is sharing God's word with you. And he has a message for us today. He has a message for me. And so if anyone gets it, at least I get it today. So hopefully you get something too out of it. But um, if you are new with us, you most likely were invited by someone. And so welcome. Uh, If you have questions, I'm sure that they could answer those questions for you. But if you want to know more about what's going on here at the church, we'd love for you to fill out a Connect card. You can do that through one of the hard copies that's on the communion stations all around the room, and you could drop that in the giving box. Or just click on the QR code that's on that chair in front of you. We'd love to uh, have you just give us a little bit of information. We'll give you some back. And really, we want to plug you into the family. We believe we are a family here at Restoration. And the reason we uh, want you to do that is because a family, being a a part of a family you have to be known and known by you have to know others as well so be known and know others and so we want to help you get connected into the life and body all right so let's move on my name is Josh if we haven't figured that out yet A little bit of background about my family. I've been married for 16 wonderful years to my wife, Danielle, sitting here in the front row. Uh, We've been through a lot of hard times, but praise God we are thriving in our marriage today. Uh, Yes, we have uh, four beautiful children. One of them, my oldest son, Keller, sitting up here. We have three biological boys, all right? So uh, all boys, all of our boys were named after Bronco quarterbacks. Denver Bronco quarterbacks, right? God's team. So... Greg is watching. So uh, all three boys named after that. And then we adopted a baby girl three years ago. We got her two hours after she was born. It was absolutely amazing. Praise God, Arabella. You see her. She's worshiping up here every single Sunday with us before she goes to class. Um, And so we kind of moved away from that whole Bronco theme, uh, Arabella. Michelle Agnew. But here, let me tell you about our house. Our house is a busy house. And if you have one kid or eight kids, houses are always busy with kids, right? They're intense. So our house gets going really early. From 4.30 in the morning, we start waking up. My wife and I start working or going to the gym. And the kids wake up shortly after that. And you're like, oh, my gosh, they're waking up at 5.30? Yes, they do. But that's because we're popping melatonin at 7.30 at night just to get to bed. All right, and so we are early risers, and we go to bed early. I don't know how you night owls do it. It's pretty incredible, um, but our creativity is in the morning. Uh, we are not night owls, and so, but uh, we, our house is so busy. We have trick shots happening all over the house. Thank you, Dude Perfect. Uh, we have ninja battles happening all the time. My, my youngest son, he's not in sports. Uh, my oldest son uh, runs cross country. My middle son plays soccer, and my youngest son said, I said, hey, son, what do you want to do? And he said, dad, I just love to fight. Okay. So we have, we have ninja battles happening all over the house. We have dolls. We have coloring. We have all kinds of things. And we have all fun things happening in the house. But we have knock-down, drag-out fights. We have battles. We have life lessons that are learned on the daily. And if, if our home was on for public viewing, you would wonder what kind of parents we actually are. <laughs> That's the truth. But here's the thing. I need you to hear this this morning. One of my greatest joys is being a dad to my kids. Greatest joy in life is being a dad to my kids. I love my kids. And my love for my kids is not based on what they do. It's not based on what they do, whether it's good or bad. My approval, my love, my heart for my children is not moved by their failures or moved by their successes. My approval, my love is not swayed by the fact that they hate everything that I cook. (laughs) And I'm the main cook in the house and they they just don't like, I mean, right? No, they don't like anything. Breakfast, (laughs) lunch, or dinner. My love is not swayed by the fact that they don't like my cooking. It's not moved by any of that. My desire to love my children, to care for my children, the approval of my children is not based on their actions, whether good or bad. My love, my approval is based on one thing and one thing only. They are my sons and she is my daughter. Yes, amen. That's it. Amen. And because of that, I'm going to love them and care for them until they the day that I die. Yes. And so for us today, my hope, my prayer, the thing that I want us to grasp today, today God's love, God's heart, God's approval of you for all of us is not based on our failures or successes, but it's based on the fact that you are one of his children. And because of that, he's going to bless you. I want us each to fully believe that. And I think for some of us today, we're struggling in that area. I know I am. So let's see what the text has for us. That's my prayer for us today. This morning, we're going to be continuing in the book of Genesis. We're moving uh, forward with the continuation of the story of Jacob. Last week, Greg preached on the whole birthright and blessing fiasco uh, from Jacob. Uh, Jacob deceiving his brother Esau for the birthright and deceiving his uh, father Isaac for the blessing, the covenantal blessing. And now Esau wants to kill him, right? And so basically, uh, Jacob's whole family is unraveling at this point. All right, and so where we're going to pick up with the story is Jacob is on the run. He's running from his family. He's running from his actions. Jacob finds himself completely alone in this moment. And what's interesting, in my opinion, is we're going to see God come after Jacob. We're going to see God pursue Jacob. And what I find interesting is because Jacob doesn't really deserve this, does he? He doesn't deserve God's pursuit, Jacob has lied, cheated, manipulated his way into the birthright and the blessing. He's on the run. God pursues him in the wilderness, and God speaks to Jacob, and he speaks to him through a dream. Yes. So that's where we're going to find ourselves, Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse 10. We're only going to cover five verses today rather than like five chapters that Greg usually goes. So we're going we're to get through this today. Man, I am trouble when he comes back. So how do you, before we get into this, I want you to think about how do you think Jacob is feeling in this moment? Okay, considering everything we just said, Jacob has manipulated and stolen the birthright and blessing of his family. He's essentially put everyone at odds with each other. He's on the run. His brother wants to kill him. What do you think is the condition of his heart at this moment? What's the condition of Jacob's soul? All right, so I want you to think about that as we read this text. All right, so Genesis 28 starting in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. All right, so Jacob is in the desert, he's in the wilderness, he is sleeping on a rock. That's where we find him. And he dreams. And the text says, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to the heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said to Jacob, listen to this, Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Now listen to this, this is crazy. Jacob, the land on which you lie on, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring, Jacob, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. It shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and the north and the south. And Jacob, God says, in you, in you, Jacob, your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then God goes one step further. Check this out. Jacob, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until what I have done, until I have done what I have promised you. Wow. What an incredible, powerful passage right there. The two things that I want us to see today. In this passage, two things that God says and speaks into Jacob's life at this moment when he has to be feeling completely and utterly isolated and alone as well as uncertain about his future, God speaks two things to him. And I believe he still speaks these two two truths to us today as well. First is this, God loves you. God loves you. Secondly, God is with you. God loves you and God is with you. And so in this passage, we see God speak these truths to Jacob. And what we're going to see is we'll see throughout all the scriptures and through all the scriptures is God is speaking these truths to us over and over and over again. All right. So now what I think is important for us to see here is that this is the first time in Jacob's life that we know of according to the scriptures where God speaks directly to him. And it's in a dream. All right, and so God is speaking to Jacob. And keep in mind, Jacob had just lied, stolen, and deceived his way into his family's birthright and blessing. God comes and speaks to Jacob. And the first thing God does is remind Jacob about the covenantal promise that was made to both Abraham and Isaac. And then something really cool happens. Something really cool happens. And what we should begin to realize is that God is not just reminding Jacob of the covenantal promise, but God is making sure that Jacob knows this. Jacob, this blessing that you got, this birthright that you received, the promise that I'm making you, you are not getting all that. Jacob, you're not getting any of that because you deceived and lied and stole. God shows up in this dream on what has to be a dark and heavy night for Jacob's heart and soul to make sure Jacob knows this. Jacob, you got the birthright. You got the blessing. You got the promise, not today because of anything that you've done, but Jacob, you have it because I love you. And I've always loved you. And this dream and this conversation that we're having right now, it's been my plan. It's been a part of my plan since before you were born. And so as you're laying here in the desert all alone, Jacob, I just want you to know that. I want you to know, Jacob, it's not what you've done, but what I'm doing for you and through you. That's what God is saying to Jacob. And again, I I just have to think this has to be so comforting to Jacob. Because as we're thinking about what's going through Jacob's mind that night, Jacob has been beating himself up with nonstop guilt and shame. Right? But why is that? Why is he so guilty? Why, does he, why do you think he would feel so guilty? Why do you think he would feel so shameful? Because at the end of the day, Jacob seemingly got what he always wanted. What do you think Jacob wanted more than anything else, though? What do you think Jacob wanted more than a birthright, more than a blessing, more than a promise? He wanted his dad's approval. He wanted his dad to approve him. He wanted his dad to look at him the same way that he looked at Esau and say, you know what, Jacob, I love you, I approve of you, and I'm going to bless you. But instead, Jacob had to manipulate and steal in order to make that happen. (laughs) And so Jacob is lying there that night, and he's thinking to himself, you know what, I got my father's approval, but it's fake. He doesn't really approve of me. He approves of Esau, and the only reason I have it is because I've lied and stolen. And so that this is the picture. That's what's happening with Jacob in this moment. He knows he got everything he wanted, but he's realizing in his heart that he has lied, that he's cheated, that he's stolen his way to get there. And I think for most of us, we get this, don't we? We get the feelings that Jacob's going through. We get the struggles that he's walking through. That he's laying there on a rock feeling all alone, racked with guilt and shame. And the reason we know that, the reason we get that is because isn't that how sin works in our own lives? Yes. Isn't that how that works in our own lives? Yes. You see, at first we run to sin. We run to it due to some sort of longing in our hearts. We're running after something that we believe we deserve or something that we we finally get to something that we think is owed to us, and for whatever reason that may be, we chase after that thing. But then after it's all said and done, we feel lonely, we feel defeated, we feel empty, we feel racked with shame and guilt. Unsatisfied. And the reason for this is because sin always promises. Yes. It always over-promises and yet it always underdelivers. Yes. Sin always over-promises and yet it always underdelivers, at least in my life. And that's where we find Jacob in this moment. He and really his mother came up with this scheme to gain his father's approval and the blessing that comes with it. And he's finally got everything that he thinks he ever wanted. It worked. He got his dad's approval. And yet it, all it has done is produce shame and guilt. And then in surprising but not unusual fashion, God shows up in the middle of that. Amen. He's done this again and again and again as we've studied the book of Genesis. Shame, emptiness, guilt, waywardness, but God. And in this moment, you don't find Jacob pursuing God, do you? Jacob's not running after God in this moment. God comes after Jacob, even in his worst. And God just starts lavishing blessing over him, pouring blessing upon blessing upon blessing in his life. The guy that doesn't deserve it. Look at verse 13 again. Here we have Jacob sleeping on a rock. And this is how God speaks to him. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord. Jacob, this is how I'm related to you. I'm the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And God, this is, and then at this moment, God just unloads this incredible blessing on Jacob. Jacob, a lying and deceiving jerk who just screwed up his family. And God says, you know what, the land, the promised land, the the land in which you lie right now, Jacob, Jacob, I am God, and I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to give it to your offspring. Your offspring, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, everyone is going to be blessed through you, Jacob. Woo! How crazy is that? Jacob, this lying, deceitful, reckless human being who's a deceiver and stole and got a blessing, God comes to him and says, you know what, Jacob? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bless everyone through you. Jacob, you got the blessing today because I'm blessing you. You have the promise today because I'm the one that's giving you the promise. Jacob, you've got my approval today because I love you. I'm blessing you, Jacob, because it's always been a part of my plan. It's always been a part of my plan. Before I even spoke the stars and the mountains into existence, my plan for your life has been this. And there's nothing you can do, Jacob, to screw that up. Wow. As I've been thinking and praying through this sermon this week, this is a powerful truth, right? Right? This, this truth that God approves of us and he loves us no matter what we've done. This is a powerful truth, and it's very simple. God is declaring to Jacob right here, and sometimes I feel like we've been lullabied to sleep by this, of this truth. Here's what I mean by that, is we've heard these truths so often. We've heard them so much. We've heard them in Bible studies. We've heard them in small groups. We've heard them in one-on-one conversations. we heard them in the church. You've heard it from this church a thousand times. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. We've said them so much that sometimes I feel like they've lost the power of that truth. And even more so, they are so simple that we tend to just overlook them. And the truth that God is sharing with Jacob here is the truth that God is sharing with us this morning as well. God is saying, look, I love you. Jacob, I love you. Josh, I love you. Church, I love you. Pretty simple, right? But here's the crazy thing. I feel like in the Western suburban church culture of today that we find ourselves in, we are so concerned, okay, Just as a pastor in the conversations that I have so often, we are so concerned about the deeper truths of Scripture, like dispensational eschatology or double predestination, these deeper truths that we search for that we often find ourselves either dismissing or completely living in unbelief to the simple truth that God loves me. Now, please, before you write an email to Greg... That's Greg at RestorationChurchWF.org. Before you write him an email, okay, before you say, hey, you know what, Greg, while you were gone, you can't believe what Josh said. He was telling us that it's not important to understand God's return. I'm not telling you that that's not important to understand when Jesus is coming back. I'm also not telling you that it's not important to understand how God's love and mercy and how people will respond to it and some won't. Okay, I'm not telling you that. If anything, my hope at restoration is that both corporately and individually, we are pursuing God's word so that we fully understand it from cover to cover. Okay, that's my prayer. And at the end of the day, if I say something up here and you disagree, you go home and you research it and you disagree with what I have to say, praise God, because you went and found out what it meant for yourself. You weren't just listening to what I had to say. Okay? Okay? We take the scripture very seriously here. But what I love about this church is, man, we are, a, we are a theological mutt. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. We have beliefs all over the place here. But my, my the, the thing that I love the most about this church is we may have, we may stand over here or over here theologically, but at the end of the day, we worship in unity because we're all chasing after Jesus. So don't email Greg telling him that I said any of this stuff wasn't important because it is. But what I am telling you, the thing that I'm afraid of the most is that, and this is just my opinion, just my opinion. I'm afraid that we've gotten to the point where our knowledge of the Scripture is actually outpacing our trust and obedience to the Scriptures. Okay? That's what I'm afraid of. And here's what I mean by that. So often we want to study, we want to know, we want to debate the deeper truths of Scripture. And oftentimes it's out of arrogance or pride because we feel like we know someone that our neighbor does not. We know something that our neighbor doesn't. And so we're going to throw this theological bomb out there and be like, watch me, right? And we do all that, and yet we find ourselves living completely void or disobedient to some of the most simple and yet profound truths in the Bible, something as simple as God loves me. Because this is true of me. So let me draw the circle. It's confession time. I've been following Jesus and desiring to live the way of Jesus for almost 18 years. I've been a pastor for almost a decade. I've been digging into, studying the scriptures, arguing, debating, and uh, what I have believed some of the most important truths in the scriptures, and yet I was living in complete disbelief that God loved me the entire time. Part of that reason, I made it this far without crying. Okay, here we go. Part of that reason is that my past and my upbringing, you see, I lived with a stepparent who for years would lecture me and tell me how I was failing to live honorable and noble life. Reminded me on the daily that his approval of me came from my obedience and actions to the things that he thought were important. And so from that point on, I lived from a, I lived my life from a deficit. I was constantly looking to prove myself, constantly looking to prove myself of those I had authority in my life. I was constantly and desperately trying to earn their approval, trying to earn their love, but I always failed. I always messed up. I always screwed up. And so I came to the conclusion that I was just a failure in this department. I would never be able to earn the approval and love that I so desperately wanted. And so when God the Father came into my life, it was the same thing. I lived my life like this. God, I love you. God, I need you. God, I want you, but I know you don't want me. God, I know you don't approve of me. I know you don't love me because look at how much of a screw-up I am. Look at the jerk that I am. I've failed you, God, so there's no possible way that you could love me. And it wasn't until men's advance of 2020 you're thinking back, okay, that's two years ago. He's been a pastor for 10 Men's Advance of 2020, I finally heard this simple and yet profound truth. God said, God said, Josh, I love you. He said, I approve of you, and there's nothing that you have done, there's nothing that you can do to change that. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter that you've failed to believe me up to this point. And Josh, my blessing has been on your life since before you were ever born. Heard that for the first time. And God says, "Josh, the reason <laughs> the reason I see you as honorable and noble today is not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you." Amen. Amen. But Josh, hear this: I love you. I approve of you. Because Josh, you are my son. Mm. Yes. Boy, did I lose it? <laughs> Woo! You think I cry up here, man. I was in a room with 200 dudes singing at the top of their lungs, and I and they're singing the song, Rattle, which I don't know. You like you don't cry during Rattle, but I'm just bawling, just tears running down my face. Just what is happening to me? Now, I want you to put yourself in my shoes for a moment, okay? Here I am, a pastor for over eight years. I'm new to the church. I've just stepped into the executive role here nine months prior to that, and as soon as this worship set is done, I'm going to have to lead a small group of men, including one of my best friends, Justin, who prays. God loves me, and and even despite all my failures, and here I am, I'm having to lead this group of men with tears running down my face, finally understanding the simple yet profound truth in the scripture that God loves me for the first time. How do you do that? How am I supposed to step into that? How am I supposed to step into that? For the first time, I believe that. I preached on that. I talked about it. I've debated it. I'm like, I've gone back and forth. Here's God loves me. And yet I never believed it until that moment. But praise God for a church like Restoration, where it's okay to not be okay. Where it's okay to not be okay, but yet we are going to pursue holiness together. Amen? Amen? Because when I shared that truth with those men that night, not a single one of them judged me. Not a single one of them pushed back. Not a single one of them questioned, oh, my gosh, that's the pastor right there. What's he talking about? (laughs) Rather, they loved me and they encouraged me and they told me, hey, keep pursuing God like he's pursuing you right now. All my life up to that point, 16 years as a follower of Jesus, eight years as a pastor, I struggled with the promise that God loves me, God approves of me because I believed that my behaviors, that my action, that my sin somehow swayed God's love for me. And so here's the point. A lot of you may hear this. You say, you know what? I got that. I get it. God loves me. And if you, can, if you can, with your heart and with your soul, understand that this morning, you got that and you know that no matter what is going on in your life, you believe that, you trust that, you hold on to that, praise God and just thank him right now. Say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. But for some of you, you need to hear this. And quite possibly, some need to hear this for the first time. God's love is not based on what you do, good or bad. It's not swayed or moved by your failures or your successes. Because his love, his approval of you is not swayed or moved by what you do, good or bad. His approval of you, his love for you is based on one thing and one thing only. And that is through the blood of Jesus Christ and your faith in that. And because of that, you are his kid. Amen? That's what God is telling Jacob. That's what God is telling Jacob. That's what he's telling us today. God loves us. God approves of us. Next thing we're going to see is another simple and yet profound truth for us to understand. And not just to understand intellectually, but to completely believe, hold on to, and grasp this morning. And it's important for us in our Christian walk. This is extremely important for us when it comes to us living the way of Jesus. So when God comes to Jacob, God promises Jacob something that's only been promised up to Isaac at this point. No one else. And God says, look, Jacob, I am going to be with you. For the second time only, God promises this. Genesis 28, verse 15. Okay, verse 15. Remember, God just reminded Jacob that he's going to give Jacob the covenantal promise. Jacob, it's not what you do, but it's what I'm going to do through you. And then he says again, God goes one step further. He promises something to Jacob that's absolutely amazing and beautiful and yet so simple for us today. God says, Jacob, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. <laughs> He just got done promising Jacob, hey, Jacob, your, your offspring, your, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, they are going to be blessed. I'm going to bless them. And church, if you haven't figured that out yet, that's you. You are in the lineage of Jacob. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are in that lineage. And so Jesus, God is now saying, God, I want to bless you, church. If you've placed your faith in Jesus and the finished work on the cross and you desire to live the way of Jesus, then hear this. The promise that God just gave Jacob and the promises is the same promise that he gives you and I today. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God is literally telling Jacob, I'm going to hold you. It doesn't matter where you go, Jacob. It doesn't matter what you do. But I'm going to hold you because I am with you. I am going to be with you. In fact, God repeats this very same promise to his followers throughout the scriptures. Moses in Exodus, he promises the same thing to Joshua, to Gideon. And then finally, Jesus makes the same promise to his disciples and everyone else in the final verse of Matthew 28. Listen to this. And Jesus came to them and he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me go therefore. Jesus has now given us the mission. He's given us our purpose. This is the life that we are supposed to live. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. This is a huge, huge mission that he's given us. And sometimes we can live in fear of that. We, how do we do this, God? I am just, who am I? I'm just a busboy, God. That's what I keep telling myself. I just grew up in the restaurant business. I'm a busboy, nothing else. How am I supposed to live out this mission? And God says, You don't do it alone. Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of age. He's saying the same thing to you. You have any fear about the mission of going and sharing the gospel? Jesus is with you. You have nothing to fear at this point. This is amazing. This is so amazing. And yet here's the deal. I think for many of us, we tend to underestimate the power of this statement. Don't we? We just heard from both God and Genesis and Jesus in the book of Matthew that wherever we go, whatever we do, it doesn't matter what we're doing, God is going to be with you. And furthermore, he's going to fulfill the promise that he has for you in your life. Yes, but the problem, <laughs> the problem is similar to the truth that God loves us, is we dismiss this concept, we dismiss this truth, and because of that, we fail to live differently than we have before even hearing that. We don't live our lives any differently after hearing that. I don't know why this is, but for some of you in the room today, you just heard that truth that God is with me. And yet, the only thing you have on your mind is what's for lunch? You aren't living your life differently. You aren't contemplating or fully grasping the fact that God says, hey, wherever you go, whatever you do, I am with you. That truth that God is with you, that God is with me, if we truly believe that, if we truly adhere to that, if we truly abided in that truth, then I think most of us, we begin to live our lives a little bit differently, wouldn't we? Right? Let me put it this way. I heard this analogy this week pertaining to the idea of God with us. And they said this, hey, imagine you woke up today Imagine you woke up today and all of a sudden you were given access to the President of the United States. Hey, no, it don't matter what president. (laughs) Already some of you are like, I ain't going to talk to that guy. Uh Uh-uh, I ain't going to talk to him. It doesn't matter what president, okay, just a president. You can pick whatever one you want. You can go all the way back. I don't know. You can go all the way back if you want to. I don't care what president. Just imagine you've been given access to the president of the United States and that you have the red phone on speed dial. And no matter what situation you find yourself in, on the other end of that line is the most powerful man in the world. If that were to happen to you, my guess is that you'd probably begin to live your life a little bit differently, knowing that you have complete and total access to all his knowledge, all his power, all his protection, all his resources, all his influence, and all his aid. I'm telling you that if, you, if that were to happen to you today, that in my mind, without a shadow of a doubt, you would live your life differently, wouldn't you? And yet God is making this promise to us. I'm with you. But here's the deal, there's no red phone, there's no secret service, there's no red tape. God wants you as his child, he wants to hear from you. His desire is to give you his knowledge, his power, and his protection for your good and his glory. This image that God gives Jacob at the beginning of this dream, the latter, represents God's willingness to be connected to his children on earth. Or in other words, bringing heaven to earth. Yes, God is high and lifted up. He is seated in the heavenlies above all, and yet he is sending his son or his angels up and down the ladder to represent how he provides guidance, aid, protection, and how they are working on our behalf. God is giving Jacob this image to reinforce this promise that you and I today, we have the unending aid and companionship of God, that the uncreated creator, again, the one who spoke the stars in the sky and the mountains on this earth into existence, the one who holds all things together, the one who promised this to Jacob, a unending companionship and relationship for the rest of his life. He's promising the same thing to us, not just in the here and now, but for eternity. (laughs) The promise that God is with us should make us have a different outlook on life, right? It should make the situation, I don't know what situations you got going on in your life, but I know if I'm just sharing, like we as a staff, we pray every single Monday. Our staff, every single one of us are going through something right now. Every single one of us are going through something right now. So I'm sure if that is just a small microcosm of the church, there's things going on in y'all's life. Okay, and so whatever situation you have yourself in this right now, this truth that God is with you should make you, come on, walk through that just a little bit differently. If we fully believe that, we would act just a little bit differently. So, a little application for you. I had an application point this week. This past week, my, uh, my wife and I, we took our middle son, TJ, named after Tim Tebow. Uh, Named after Tim Tebow, and we took him uh, to the mountains for his 10th birthday, kind of a coming-of-age trip. So we do this with all of our boys, uh, all of our children. We will do this. We did this with my oldest son two years ago. And uh, part of this trip is we began talking about what it means to be a man. Simply put, it's just, hey, this is what it looks like. To, if your desire is to live the way of Jesus, to chase after Jesus, then these are the four core tenets in which we are going to do that. And we start talking about those things, okay? And so, uh, but we also talk about uh, doing something difficult. And they get to choose what they do difficult. My oldest son, he did a 15-mile bike ride through the Rockies when we went. And so my uh, middle son, TJ, he said, Dad, I want to climb a mountain, And this mountain that he wanted to climb was called Buffalo Mountain. It's a 13,000-foot mountain. Uh, His mother climbed it when she was 10 years old. And so I'm thinking, you know what, no problem. I did the Grand Canyon. You know, I saved Greg's life. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, I've climbed Kilimanjaro. What's a 13,000-foot mountain? No big deal. And so we're going to climb this mountain. And we get up there, and it's, you know, the first mile is no big deal. We're just, we're hiking along. It's just a normal, you're out of oxygen, obviously, because you're at 10,000 feet compared to the 60 feet that we are here. And so we're out of oxygen, obviously. We're huffing and puffing. But then my wife seemingly forgot about one of the most important things on this hike that she did as a 10-year-old, and that was a mile-long boulder field. Okay, and now this boulder field, like again, like at 10 years old, she probably forgot about this because she doesn't even know what life and death means at 10 years old. And so she didn't remind me that there was this huge thing. So I wanna show you this boulder field real quick. Look at this thing, all right? Those are boulders literally twice the size of me. You're crawling over them and under them. You can see the moon at the top of that mountain and we gotta get through the entire thing and it's a mile long of boulders, right? And I am freaking out. I'm having my own anxiety attack. And I look, <laughs> again, my wife, she climbed this before. And uh, I look back at my wife and I take this picture of her. And here she is. She's so afraid at this point. She's leaning on the rocks this way because she's afraid if she steps back this way, she's going to fall off. And she looks at me and she's got eyes the widest saucers. I mean, I mean, she, is, she later on told me she was actually having an anxiety attack at that moment. And my 10-year-old son, he looks at me and he goes, hey, dad, what happens if we get stuck and die up here? Buddy, not the time, right? Thankfully, (laughs) thankfully, mom didn't hear that at that moment. So I just, you know what? I'm like, okay, what do I do? How do I encourage him at this point? Because I'm having anxiety. So I got down, I got down real low, and I said, hey, buddy, I know he's just a couple inches taller than you, but I saved Greg's life in the Grand Canyon. I'll save yours. (laughs) Y'all don't even have to email Greg. This is my last sermon. This is the last time. I, I get to preach one more, and then I'm done. <laughs> so, but seriously, so I told him, I said, you know what, son? I'm with you. I'm with you. Your dad is with you. And his perspective completely changed. And Again, he's 10 years old. He has no idea what life and death means at this point. But here's, his, here's the next photo of him, just chilling. <laughs> Look, he had no fear after that point because his dad was with him. His outlook, his perspective of the situation completely changed. And so just so you know, my wife wanted to make sure that you knew she wasn't a wuss. She didn't give up, okay? She actually killed it. She got to the top of this 13,000-foot mountain, and here we are on top of the mountain. There we go. That's the city of Silverthorn in the background. And if you, look to the, if you look to the right of that picture, you see three mountain goats. Here's the coolest thing. A mom, a dad, and a baby mountain goat having lunch on top of a mountain. Here we are, the three of us having lunch on top of this mountain. Coincidence? I think not. God, thank you. Thank you for that, Jesus. But again, after hearing TJ's, uh, TJ, after hearing, hey, buddy, I'm with you, his perspective completely changed. And he just whipped right up that mountain. And that's what God is telling Jacob. TJ had a vision of God moment right there. This vision that, okay, God is with me. My father is with me. And Jacob is hearing the same thing as well. God is telling Jacob, I'm with you. I'm always going to be with you. And again, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say to change that because my presence in your life, this promise that I've given you is based on one thing and one thing only. You are my son. My hope is that after hearing that today, that we would live our lives differently. A simple yet profound truth. God is with us. There's one person in the Bible that I think exemplified knowing this truth and trusting this truth so well, and he wrote a song about it. David, Psalm 139. Listen to this. He said, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. God, you know everything about me. Even the things that I don't want to tell other people, you know those things about me. God, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. God knows that you're sitting in these chairs right now. He can actually discern your thoughts from afar. This is, what, this is again, what David is telling God. He says, God, you search my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. He knows what you're going to say. Yes. He knows how you're going to respond. No matter in what situation end, God is not surprised. God is never surprised by it. And then listen to this. David says, God, you hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. God, you've completely encompassed me. And such knowledge is too wonderful for me and too high for me to contain. I cannot contain it, David says. This is too amazing for me to actually even believe. But I believe it, God, so I'm going to write about it. I'm going to praise you about it. And there's going to be people for thousands of years that are going to be talking about this same thing. He says, where shall I go? David says, where shall I go, God, from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? I can't I can't, I can't leave you. You're in behind me, you're in front of me, you're on the sides of me. You've completely surrounded me. So if I go to heaven, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And David's about to make his bed in Sheol and he knows God is with him. Mm. Come on. David is a perfect example of someone that not only understands this simple truth, but believes it and understands the gravity of it as well. But again, let me draw the circle. If I'm being honest, this truth has been hard for me to grasp. This hasn't always come natural to me because I still struggle from time to time and believe that there's no way God would love me. There's no way that God would cherish me. There's no way that he would care for me because of the things that I've done. Not just to him, but to those that he's entrusted me with. Because just like I told you a few weeks ago, when we were talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, I am Lot. I'm the one that lingers. I'm the one that hesitates. And today, I'm telling you, I am Jacob. I am Jacob. I'm a deceiver. I'm a manipulator. I've lied. I've stolen. I'm the one that's cheated to get the things that I thought I needed, and in doing so, I nearly broke my marriage. So after that failure, I hit it. I hid it, and for 13 years, I lived in constant shame and guilt. I was broken and an empty human being, and yet I knew that the only way for me to get past any of that was to bring it into the open, to share what I have done. The only way for me to find healing from my brokenness, to find healing from my sin, was to bring it into the light and begin living my life differently, to begin trusting in the fact that God is with me, and because of that, I can respond differently to my sin. I can respond differently to my chill, Guilt and shame, I can respond differently because I trusted and knew that God was with me. And so after 13 years of living this way, of feeling and hearing the conviction of the Holy Spirit get louder and louder and louder to bring it into the open, God gave me a dream. He did. No coincidence. God gave me a dream. I was in my bed, not in the wilderness and sleeping on a rock. So that was graceful. Thank you, Jesus. But all joking joking aside, he gave me this dream. And in that dream, I finally shared with my wife what I had done. And the next thing I know in this dream is she walks towards me, she wraps her arms around me, and she holds me. And that's it. I woke up. Mm. But I knew from that dream that God was telling me, hey, it's going to be okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. I woke up knowing that that was the day that I was going to share the one thing that I thought I was going to take to my grave. And my response to that dream was to move towards confession. And so I called my friend Justin that day. I spoke about him earlier, and I told him everything that had happened. And I asked him to check in on me 48 hours later to make sure that I had done what I was talking about doing, and that was to go to my wife and share with her. And Justin lovingly, gracefully said, I'm with you. So I moved towards my wife. And I shared with her, not knowing the consequences, not knowing the outcome, not knowing the depth of the pain that I was going to put her through. But in spite of all of that, through the heartache and the pain, I knew that God was going to be with me. And because of that promise, because of that truth, the simple truth that God is with me, that God is with you, both, my, both myself and my wife have found healing. And that healing came from that confession. And that confession was worth every moment of pain because God's plan is always restoration. God's plan is always restoration. I don't care what you've been through. His desire, his plan for you is to restore you. That's why this church is named what it is. That's why we have so many people coming here and telling stories of God has restored me. I was thinking this way and now I'm looking this way. God has restored me into my purpose, and I want to run after him. You see, the greatest gift that God has ever given me and the greatest gift that he's ever given you is the promise and assurance that he loves me, that he loves you, that he approves of me, he approves of you, and that he's with me and that he's with you. That's the greatest gift we could ever get from him. Now, these are simple truths, right? So simple. We've heard them all the time. God is with you and God loves you. But for some of you that are here today, when we think about, when you think about that sin, when you think about that one thing, the worst thing that you've ever done, it still messes you up, doesn't it? Still messes you up. And the reason it does is because you're believing the same lie that I believed for years. The lie that you believe is that God's approval of you, that God's love for you is swayed by that sin. And so let's move into some application, okay? All right? This is the lab portion of the lesson today. All right? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. I want you to think of the worst thing that you've ever done. Go there. Go there in your mind, okay? Okay? Because I know sometimes we try to put that away and we try to lock it up and we say, you know what, that was before Jesus or that was before this or that was in another life but, or that was yesterday. And so you've locked it up and you said, I don't want to deal with that. I want you to go to that. I want you to hold that sin out here like this. And I want you to hold it. And I want you to think about that sin. And I want you to speak truth into that sin. That God's love for you is not swayed by that sin. That God's approval of you is not moved because of that sin. That God loves you despite of that sin. God loves you. So you need to speak that truth. Think about whatever that is. Hold that out there and say, God, you love me and you approve of me. God loves me. Say it. Just say it out loud. God loves me. God loves me. No, again, God loves me. God loves me. Outside, God loves me. God me I didn't hear them. God loves me. Now, some of you walk around in fear. I think we all do at some point. We're fearful of something, right? And so I want us to apply this other truth that God is with you. Many of us walk around in fear, and sometimes that fear, it changes or pops up out of nowhere depending on the circumstances that you have going on in life. But today, I want you to think of the worst fear that you have. What is the worst fear that you have in your moment? We're going to go there because, again, we are a church where it believes that it is okay to not be okay, but we're pursuing holiness together. So what is that fear? And I want you to hold that out there. It might be that you're afraid of being found out, that there's something in your life that you're Man, I'm taking that to the grave. And your biggest fear is being found out. Or maybe you're afraid of losing a child. And you can't even comprehend to think about that because it just tears you to shreds to think about that. Or maybe it's cancer or disease or death. Grab a hold of it and get that in your mind and speak this truth to it. God is with me. Whatever it is, hold that there. God is with me. Cancer, death, disease, Being found out, God, you are with me even in the midst of all that. Say, God is with me. God is with me. (laughs) I need you to know that I'm still a work in progress. Even with this truth, that God is with me. Just a few months ago, my wife was diagnosed with a very common autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's. And even though it's common, it still has wrecked our lives. It's changed a lot in our lives. My wife, who used to be called the Energizer Bunny, because she could handle whatever life threw at her, now struggles on a daily basis with enough energy just to get through the day. And there's nothing more painful than watching my best friend struggle with something that she can't control. And I have to remind myself daily, okay, God, I know you know about this disease. I know you know what's going on, but I'm scared to death. I am scared, God. I am living in fear, but God, please remind me that you are with me. You are with me. You are with her. Keep us near, remind us of that daily. So I'm just a work in progress, okay? Don't put me on a pedestal. I think I've kicked that out enough today. That pedestal is gone as far as I'm concerned. So again, for each of us, it doesn't matter what happens in your life whether that's being found out or whether you experience cancer, disease, death, or being alone for the rest of your life, I want you to hear this. I want you to trust this, this simple yet profound truth. God is with you. God is with you. Now, before we go into worship, I want to ask our prayer partners to come up, elders, staff, if you're in the room, if you wouldn't mind just coming up because here's the deal. I think a lot of us... We're going through something. Like I said earlier, you have a situation. You have something that's going on in your life that you need prayer for. And we are a praying church. Our desire is to be a praying church, okay? And so our desire is to live out James 4.16, that the fact that we can come to one another, we can confess to one another and pray for one another in hopes that we would find healing. And some of you, the only strength that you have today is to just the ability to just utter the fear that you have. You don't even know how to begin praying for it. You can just, the only, the only strength you have is to just admit that this is what I'm doing in my life and I need help. And that's the blessing of being in community with one another, isn't it? Because we can go to one another even in the worst of our moments and say, you know what, man, I am failing here. Just like when I went to my friend, Justin. Justin, this is the truth of who I am. I have failed," he said. "I'm going to pray for you. Praise God! I found healing. And so, if there's something in your life right now that you just are holding on to, man, please come up and allow these allow these folks to pray for you. Pray with someone in your chair next to you. Because I want to take a moment. Here's and again, I. I so often we we hear a sermon and and we go out those doors and we get on with the busyness of life, right? Because we got things to do. And so often we don't let the scripture that we just heard actually settle in our hearts because we've heard some pretty amazing truths today. We begin to promise a blessing that if we truly believe it, it will change the way that we live. It'll change it. It'll change the perspective that you have in any situation. And what I don't want to be is a church that allows the knowledge of the scriptures to outpace our obedience and the trust of the scriptures. And so we're going to put this into action today. And so just right now, take a moment. Push back against the busyness of life because it's going to be there when we leave. And I just want you to allow the word to do some work in your heart. So if you would, just recognize, just be present in this moment. Be in your chair. Feel the chair underneath you. Feel your feet on the ground. Take a deep breath. Close your eyes and exhale. Take another breath. And I just want you to meditate on this. Meditate on these truths. God loves me. God approves of me. God is with me sit in that for a moment. feeling that today, here's what I want you to do. If you're feeling the truth that God loves me, God approves of me, God is with me, that I don't have to be afraid anymore, if you trust that and you believe that this morning, just thank Him. Just thank Him. Say, God, thank you. I know there's days that I waver, but God, thank you for that truth. Say, God, I don't deserve this but I receive this and I believe this. But if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen to this. I want you to hear the promise that is awaiting you. Listen to this. God loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're going to do in the future. God's desire is to love you. God approves of you. God is with you. You no longer have to live alone in fear. God's desire is to be with you. His desire is to be with me. A God whose love is not swayed by our failures and a God who will never fail us. If you're hearing that for the first time today, and you want to trust in that, you want to believe in that, you want to have that promise for the rest of your life, then here's my ask. Trust in that and trust in Jesus because here's what Jesus has done for you. He lived an absolutely perfect life to be the sacrificial lamb on your behalf. He lived a life that you couldn't live. Then he died the death that you deserve, that I deserve. He was beaten, spit on, mocked, tortured, nailed to a cross, and died for you. Freely. He rose three days later. And when he ascended into heaven, he gave us a gift. He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And because of that spirit, we no longer... We don't need a red phone. We don't need secret service. We have complete access to the unending love and companionship of God. And so if you want that this morning, if you want that promise that God is with you, then trust in that. Trust in Jesus. Trust in the cross. And you will be saved.